Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast, Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. Uh, Grey Wednesday here, but a fantastic podcast coming up with the legendary former Premier League footballer and England footballer, Carlton Palmer. Very forthright guy, very candid. Makes some fantastic points as well. Really appreciate his time as it was the evening in Shanghai when we recorded this earlier on my morning here in the UK in Cheltenham. Speaking of Cheltenham, thank you to the sponsors, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out B&O Cheltenham on social media and their website, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham. And I should stipulate and point out as well that through Serene AV, can source other home entertainment, other audio, televisual equipment, I think that's the right terminology, isn't it? They can uh, that doesn't have to be Bang Olufsen because uh, the Serene AV is kind of an independent sister company to the Bang Olufsen franchise. There, check out Jason Briggs and uh, his website, his team, fantastic stuff. Thank you to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, Cytoplan uh, is a purveyor of food-based supplements that my family and I have been customers of for 20 years, really, under the tutelage and stewardship of my dad, who has worked for them, but we still pay for our own supplements as well. So I firmly believe in them for the last couple of decades and believe it makes a difference as well. At the moment, I'm taking Immune Complete 2 as an adult man. Uh, includes micronutrients like selenium and zinc and then all the way up to vitamin D3 as well, which is key as I uh, look out the window on a very grey day to get that UV light and the immune boosting benefits of that through the winter here in the UK. Head to cytoplan.co.uk and the discount code is Draper ten R D R A P E R one zero, and then the capital letter R. Uh, so here we are, the podcast. And uh, if you uh, aren't familiar with Carlton Palmer, if you're a little bit younger, definitely look him up. A legendary figure of the Premier League, playing mainly central midfield, is my recollection. But he talks here about playing centre half as well, with distinction for Leeds United. And perhaps he should have got more caps. He believes for England at centre-half if, if central midfield was becoming complicated with the likes of Paul Gascoigne and Paul Ince in his way for a starting berth with the England team. But really candid guy, working in Shanghai now, director of sport at Wellington College, although he is going to come back in the near future, very effusive about Shanghai and how they've handled the pandemic in particular, maybe in contrast to the UK from what he's seen from afar. Hasn't seen his family for a long time because of what's happened this year, but really appreciate his time, as I say, after a long day's work and he's trying to sort out some stuff with his property in, in the Europe as well. So I appreciate his time. Here he is, the uh, one and only Carlton Palmer. And we are recording. Carlton Palmer, really good to speak to you. And it's surreal because you're the end of your day. We're the start of the day in the UK. But how are you? Good evening. Yeah, no, all good, thank you. Yeah, all, all really busy at the moment, as you can imagine, coming up to Christmas. Uh, yeah, lots going on, and uh, Lucy and I got a few things we're dealing with at the moment. We're selling a property in the UK and a property in Portugal, so it's difficult with the dealing with solicitors and, and people like that with the time difference. Yeah, uh, and of course we've got four kids and two grandkids, <laughs> and we've not been able to act since March. Wow, um, and one was yesterday. So yes, yeah, so it's it's difficult in that respect, but um, apart from that, now we're, we're we're all good. Thank you. Oh, good, good to hear. That is tough this year in the year of the pandemic. How is life in Shanghai? You've been out there a while, haven't you? Are you, are you enjoying it? Yeah, we've been here seven years. This is, this is, we're into our seventh year. No, we love it. We, 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 um, Shanghai is a wonderful place. Um, yeah. And if anybody gets the opportunity to visit it, it is a, is a, a magnificent place. There's a big ex, expat community out here. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we've really enjoyed it, but we generally get home every 12 weeks. 
Mm. So for us, especially the missus, um, it's been really difficult because we, we've not been able to come back since March when we got back and we will not be able to get back till the summer now. So that'll be 15 months without seeing the kids and the grandkids and parents and friends. It's pretty tough. Mm. But we do realise when we look at everything that's around the world and the way people are dealing with things, it, it's right that the borders shut here. You know, nobody's allowed in, nobody's allowed out. Yeah. Um, simple as it is, you know, and that's the way we've got, we've got very few cases, even though we're getting into winter again. Mm. There's no, there's no restrictions on anything. Uh, you know, they've, they've started asking people to, to wear masks again on public transport. But in terms of uh, restaurants, bars, cinemas, gyms, uh, clubs, everything's open as normal. Oh, fantastic! That's really good to hear. And was it there, was it bad there early then in in the cycle of the pandemic? What what sort of time of year was it? Was it bad the end of twenty nineteen for you? Well, we we were lucky in in effect. Lucia and I were on holiday in the Maldives when we got the uh, an email from work saying um, that the, the 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 virus had broke. Yeah, and they gave us a chance of what we wanted to do. So. Um, they said China was going to go into full lockdown. So when you talk about a lockdown that people are talking about in the UK, they have no idea. And I, I, I did tell them this in March. I said, you have no idea what's coming. If, if you listen to a Kevin Pod did it there before I flew back in March, and I said, you have no idea what, what, what's coming if you don't do this properly. I'm yes. talking about a proper lockdown here where nothing was open. No schools, no workplaces, no trams, no nothing, nothing. Everything was closed for three months. People, wow. it, it didn't see. So they gave you the choice of staying in your apartment. If you went out of your apartment, they track you. And, and, and then they come and put a device on your door. So when Lucy and I arrived back on the 22nd of March, yeah. we, we made a decision uh, when we were told about it to head back to the UK. So we headed back to the UK. We then were told by work that we have to be back by the 22nd of March. So we got back by the t on the 22nd of March. When we landed on the aeroplane, you weren't allowed to get off. They took you off in, in, in rows, depending on uh, where you lived. You went straight away to the center to be tested. We did one night in a hotel, and then we had to do two weeks quarantine in the house. Uh, the two weeks in the house consisted of a lock on the door, only allowed to open three times a day to put out food, uh, sorry, to, to collect food and put out rubbish. And we had to do temperature checks three times a day. So that wow. was it. After the two, free to go about your business. And that's how they've dealt with it. 24 million people and Shanghai's as normal. Wow, wow. And that's, that's, that's important for us to hear actually, Carl, because I think myself and other people, and we will talk football, I want to talk football with you as well, but um, it, we sort of have lamented the, the, the loss of freedom and, and found that bad. But that is severe, isn't it? That's a different perspective than what we've had to deal with. Because even at the height of our lockdown, we were allowed to go and wander around and get some exercise. Yeah, but it wasn't severe. You're talking two weeks, right? Those who had never left Shanghai, those who never left Shanghai didn't have a problem. If you left uh, Shanghai, all you was two weeks. So if the UK had locked down properly, we flew into the, uh, the UK from China, no checks. We flew to Portugal uh, at the beginning of March, no checks there, no checks back. Mm. We then flew back to China on the 23rd and people were starting to wear masks in the airport. That was it. 
That's yeah. what the UK did, and expected, and expected to 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 have dealt with the virus. And it seems to me that you know people are only you know um, adhering to it if they've lost a loved one. We've Lucy's we've lost Lucy's grandfather while while we were out here to COVID, and oh, we man. weren't able to get you know we weren't able to get back to to the funeral, and we had to. Uh, watch the funeral over, you know, on on uh, on FaceTime. I mean, only last week. Can you believe this? I'll give you a scenario. Only last week, mm. my ex-wife, her mother, to come over and stay because she um, uh, didn't want her mother staying in on her own because you know my ex-wife's father's died. So yeah. she comes and stays at, at my ex-wife's house. She then decides to go out. She goes round to the sister's house. They've got somebody in the house. She then contracts COVID, goes back to the house, gives it to my ex-wife and my two kids. Why can't people just stay in? Mm. If they'd yeah. have done that, I understand. I understand the position at the moment, right? So mm. because of all the messages that have been going on, so I understand at the moment. But from the beginning, people should have just adhered to it. Yeah. For, or, for, or more of a severe for, lockdown than the government maybe at the start. Is that what you think would have been better like, like you did there? Because here it seems like it's just sort of been a bit in and out for a long time well ed you, you can't have it both ways if no. you if you if you want a country where you're allowed free speech and you're allowed to 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 basically do as you please and people are here that's what the governments have allowed people to do and they've abused it they've abused it so you know if they suffer measures down and on the first place people had said well when we're, we're not we're not giving the free People have been given the choice and have chosen not to. Mm. I understand now, and it's gone that far now. For me, you might as well open up the, open it all up now because the 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 ramifications are going to be far worse than the lockdown now with businesses, with 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 mental health, uh, marriage breakups, you know, suicides, everything. I yeah. think they might as well just open it and hope that this vaccine's comes into play within the next two or three months. That's my personal opinion now, because if you didn't lock it down properly in the first place, how are you going to contain it? Yeah, yeah, it's still, that's, that's the difficult thing, is if you wreck the economy and the virus still spreads, that's the worst case scenario, isn't it, for, for both? And it feels like sometimes, like you say, that with the amount of people who've had it, that maybe we're, we're, we're kind of, that's the cat's out of the bag to a certain extent. But uh, I, I really appreciate that insight, actually. And on a positive note, it's great to hear that you like life in Shanghai. One of my um, good friends from university was out there and he, he raved about it and, and loved the lifestyle. What's the climate like there, Carlton? Is it, is it warmer than the UK? Yeah, I mean, we have the four seasons like the UK, so that's why my missus likes it. Mm. But it's generally, the weather is generally very good here. I hear all this stuff about you know that the media portray about china with the with the pollution i've been here seven seven years now if i've had three sporting events maximum four cancelled because of pollution then that's it most mm. marathons are run every weekend lucy and i cycle and run every day it's an absolute fantastic um city and and place it's something an experience that lucy and i will will never forget um, we're coming to the end now because, um, you know, our, we, the plan was to come when the kids were going to university and they get started off. And, uh, and now that the kids are having families now, it's time for us to, um, to well, we, we'll split our time. The plan is to do six months in Portugal and six months in the UK. But mm. this is my last year 
of full-time work really i'm i'm going to retire and um and and my wife she's a, she's a, a a teacher she's a head yeah. of um, an international school so she wants to carry on working and um, she's going to look for a job in portugal but that's the end for me after this year's bit of golf and you know a few after dinner speaking apart from that just relax and enjoy the sun and enjoy my kids and grandkids Oh, mate, that's awesome to hear as well, because what you're still pretty young as well. That must be, you must have played your hand well, because I know that you were obviously in the Premier League era, but you weren't getting the kind of money that these guys are today, are you? So you've done, you've done really well to, to get out that early. Well, the thing is, what I did, right, Ed, is I'm not like a lot of people. I, I had a very expensive divorce. Yeah. Uh, I remarried, been with Lucy 18 years. And, uh, and, um, and what I did is I was never afraid. I knew when my career was going to end. That was all planned. I could have carried on playing for another couple of years, mm. but that was all planned. And I've never been afraid to work. So that's the problem sometimes with, with, with ex-players. They live to the, to, to, the, to the money that they earn. They then retire. And then they want to still carry on that lifestyle with that income not coming in. Well, I knew that wasn't realistic for me. Although I haven't, earned the money that these boys earned I still earned a good wage and a good salary so yeah. but I knew there's no way um that, that I could continue my lifestyle in the way that I wanted to live it if I wasn't prepared to work so that's what that's what I what I've done I got my head down and um I enjoy doing the job I've done in Dubai and in 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 Shanghai working uh, and coaching in international school and and uh, I've been well looked after. I've been mm. well looked after. So it's worked out. Uh, well, when I say worked out really well for us, you, you put the hard work in, Ed. And yeah. That's, that's yeah. what. Yeah, it's an awesome college as well. I looked up Wellington College. Looks like an amazing place. It's like a kind of uh, almost Harry Potter style, kind of in the middle of um, modern city of Shanghai. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it's it's. We've got now. I think we're just about opening another two schools. She 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 opened one international school. Our our boss is a is a lady called Joy Chow. She's a she's an unbelievable woman. To be fair to you, still very young, but she had she you know her father was it was uh, in the government over here, but she had this dream of opening up an international school in Shanghai. So she went along to Wellington, uh, Shanghai, and and she managed to strike a deal. And now she, she's, she's really driven about education and, and the quality of education. So she's opening bilingual schools up everywhere. She's going to open one in the UK. And it's massive. The fees are, the fees are big at the school. I mean, it's very expensive to send your kid to the school. But you, you, get, you get what's on the tin. Mm. You get an unbelievable education. You, you, you'll never go to a school where you have a, a former Olympian a swimming, swimming coach, former premiership footballer, former top 60 ATP tennis player. And that's, wow. that's the kind of, you know, um, that's the kind of formula that she's used, which is very successful. And then the attraction for, like, say, my wife to come out here and work, you know, in the UK, I used to get really annoyed, you know, because I don't think teachers are appreciated in the no, UK in no. terms of, you know, they're educating, they're educating our future, you know, prime ministers, our future... Mm brain search you know and 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 the salaries that they get is it, it's not worth it i go and do an after dinner speak in in the uk and that's what my wife was earning a month man, you know yeah. and i do that so the one thing by coming abroad the packages are 
you know, Lucy's probably on four and a half times the salary that she was on in the UK, plus mm. your housing, plus your medical, plus one flight a year, you know. So, yeah. and, it, and if, you, if you've got kids, then your kids get free education with the best, some of the best teachers in the world. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because I went into sports journalism and actually a, a thing that I loved, I loved coaching football, I loved potentially being a teacher. But the problem with teaching in the UK, as you say, is not only the salaries, but if you want more money, you have to become a kind of administrator, don't you? Like a headmaster or a head a year, rather than actually rewarding the people who are actually in contact with the kids and, and as you say, trying to, try to inspire them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's been brilliant for my wife. She's really enjoyed it, and uh, and and I feel that she's she the work that she does. Because most teachers, a lot, you know, a lot of teachers don't teach, you know, to make money. But that doesn't mean that they should make money. They, a lot of them work weekends. A lot of them work long hours. They care about the, you know, and 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 with teaching abroad, Shanghai. Um, I have to say, I mean, in terms of the salaries in Dubai, they were good, but. This is this is on a level there, uh, and and that's fair play to Joy. Um, the the salaries aren't the same at all the other schools, but she says she wants uh, Shanghai International Wellington to be the best school in the world. So she's prepared to pay the best salaries, to get the best people, and to provide a quality education and a, a quality sporting program. Oh, fantastic for you! That's that's a great story. It's an inspiring story. I think that at this stage of your life, as you say, to work around the world and and kept pushing on and been able to retire. I think you're you're 55, aren't you, Carl? I think which is which is really impressive. Um, but the yeah, I was gonna, I'll be 55 on Saturday. Oh, happy birthday! <laughs> good good stuff. Um, but I wanted to about your career, and you say you, for them to have you is a fantastic thing as well for the school because you are a Premier League legend and Premiership legend. It was yeah, at the time, and it's interesting what people, what club they associate you most with because you were one of my. My boyhood icons, and I'm speaking to one of my good friends, actually lives in Stocksbridge, just north of Sheffield, and he's a big Wednesday fan, and he's he's a huge, huge fan of yours. But you were still a young man when you left Wednesday. But in my mind, I always thought of you as, as being there for such a long time. And it, I guess it was when you got the cup finals and uh, you won the 91 League Cup, didn't they? I don't think you played in that final, but I associate with Wednesday. What was the, the club that you liked the most of, of your entire career? What was, where were you most happy? Well, I mean, I was at Sheffield Wednesday a long time. I went there at a very young age, and I was there at a long time. So, yeah. um, well, without, 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 without an argument, Sheffield Wednesday was, was, was uh, the club for me. We still have got our family home in, in Sheffield. I love Sheffield. I love the place. I love the people. And it's ironic at the time. I, I had big clubs come in for me, London clubs, you know, the Chelsea's. I, I had a long conversation with Ken Bates. And, mm. you know, London was for me. Um, the way I lived my life back then. And, and you know, um, I remember speaking to Nobby Styles about uh, Sheffield Wednesday were about to get relegated. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to go in the March transfer deadline. And uh, I remember sitting down with Nobby and I said to Nobby, what, what should I do, Nobby? I said, I'm, I'm not really one for London and, you know, whatever. And he said to me, Carl, no. and it's the best advice he'd ever gave me, Nobby, to be fair. Um, you know, he said, Colton, you don't work for clubs, you work for people. You work for people who you know, they'll get the best out of you. He said, it's not even, it's, it's no brain. He said, get yourself up the road to Sheffield Wednesday and sign for Ron Atkinson again. Mm. And that's what I did. And I, I had what the best, I, I, to be honest with you, I chased what we had at Sheffield Wednesday uh, around the country at the different clubs and I could never find it again. 
never yeah. find it again. It was unbelievable time, unbelievable group of players, and um, a, a, a manager that has always believed in me um, since I was a kid. And um, you know, Ron, I, I you know, I regard Ron as a second father. I mean, I speak to Ron most weekends as I speak to my own dad. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's a top. Um, and he's a top footballing bloke. And I, I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved in football today if it wasn't for Ron Atkinson. Yeah, he was a little bit before my time as a Manchester United fan when he was a United manager. But I remember him at Wednesday and at Villa as well after that, competing with United. But he, he was sort of victim of the, the modern term is, is kind of a cancel culture when, it, when he said a racist comment. What was your thoughts on that as a black man particularly? Were you, do you think we lack forgiveness and empathy with, with Ron there and his generation? What was your take on that? Well, there's two things on that, to be fair to you. One, in, in the confines of our own house, right, and I'm not excusing what he said, you know, um, the confines of our own house, there go by the grace of God for all of us, right? Yeah. He was in Dubai, forgot, it, it was in the middle of the night, he forgot to switch his mic off and somebody stitched him up and sold it to the Sun newspaper. Shouldn't have said what he said, but anybody who knows Ron Atkinson knows he's not a racist. But if we were to go around people's houses and people weren't listening, you know, it wasn't made public, there'd be, there'd be a lot of people in trouble for the things they say. Mm. Unfortunately, in his position, um, you know, it, 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 was, um, it, it was damaging. But it was more damaging because the culture was starting to change and I think Ron was uh, used as a scapegoat. And, um, and it was disappointing to see a lot of black players who, who have benefited from... Ron, um, to not support him. And um, I, I was never going to be one of those, whatever the, the punishment or the cost was. I, I, cannot, I cannot talk and say somebody's a racist when they're not. So, yeah. you know, he made, a, he made a comment that he shouldn't have made. And so, you know, as I say, I know the man personally. Um, and, um, you know, he's not a racist in any way, shape or form. So... You know, he, he's, he runs a bit like he's old school, love thy neighbour style. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've never, in all the years I've known Ron Atkinson, I've never known him in the dressing room make reference to anybody's colour. Never. In all the years I've known him, whether it's our team or anybody else's team. I've, ne I've never, I've been in his house, I've been since I'm 15 years of age. I've yeah. never ever made reference to anybody's colour or creed or anything. Never. Mm. So, do, do you think it's a problem uh, you're watching from afar? I know you've joined Twitter and I, I actually followed you on Twitter after hearing on the Quickly Kevin uh, Willie Score podcast. That was a fantastic interview. Do you think when you, when you look at that, and you look at the modern media, obviously we all want equality. We all want everyone to be treated fairly. That is a, a given assumption. But are we judging people too much from afar now? Do you think that's a problem that, you, as you say, you know Ron Atkinson, yet people will, will judge him from afar. It seems that we're, we're quick to do that without understanding people, without knowing their intent and what's in their hearts and minds. Well, we've caused... I mean, listen, I'm on Twitter. The only reason why I was on Twitter, I'm not on Facebook or any other social media. I mean, I started up a business in Dubai and uh, my wife said, the, the way the world's gone now, you need to get on social media. So I had somebody handle my social media. And then when I left Dubai... I, I actually stayed on Twitter because there's a lot of people, a lot of friends on there that I know, but yeah. I'm not really into social media. I think it's to, 
it's a, it's an easy way for people to criticise other people who, who have never walked that path. And too many people uh, get a gullible and listen to social media and get jumped in. It's like, listen, it's, it gives a, a forum mm. to people who haven't, haven't achieved anybody to actually just criticise other people. And then other people jump on the bandwagon. So yeah. you've got to be a fool or very secure to, 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 get, you know, to get involved in that and, and allow it to affect you. You know, mm. it, 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 you know, it's a forum for people who haven't done anything to absolutely criticise people who have achieved stuff. You yeah. know, and if people are on there, you know, you look at Marcus Rashford now, you know, he's doing it. Um, listen, he's a remarkable young man. Yeah. And then you've got people now who've not done what he's done who are now criticising him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's amazing. We, we're judgmental. You know what? I don't think it's actually good for people who are judgmental. You mentioned that insecurity. And I think it only heightens your insecurity because you then fear the backlash of what you're doing to other people. You fear it against yourself and you think you've defend, you know, you think you've done a big thing by criticizing someone, but actually I think you leave yourself open. What was the magic at Wednesday in that period then? Because it was so successful, wasn't it? The, the 91 League Cup final, you broke my heart as a nine-year-old and uh, Sheffield Wednesday beat us 1-0. John Sheridan always seemed to be a thorn in our side, scored the goal that day, but you had so many good players. But was it, was it beyond the individual talent, Carlton? Was there something that was, I guess, beyond the individual parts that made up that team? Well, John, Ron was always brilliant at putting people together that gelled. Mm. Oh, so he, he brought in he brought in players of of immense quality. Roland Nielsen, John Sheridan, myself, David Hurst was already there. He brought yeah. in experienced and in Dandy Wilson, um, young Phil King, uh, John Arps who came from America, um, Mark Bright who eventually came from uh, Crystal Palace, and the yeah. blend Chris Waddle, uh, Des Walker. The blend was phenomenal. There was a lot, what he did, if you look at that team, I think 10 went on to become managers later on. Yeah. Nigel Pearson. A lot of strong characters within in the side. And all he did was get the ball rolling. And once he set the ball rolling, it virtually took care of itself. You know, there were a lot of players in that, a lot of players in that side who were, who were, who were self-motivated. The majority were self-motivated on, on succeeding and on, on being the best, you know, working hard in training, being there early on training, being there on days off, you know. Mm. It was a, it, and the funny thing was, which was, which is amazing, and I do think this is vital, I really do. I know the game's changed today, but, um, you know, on a Saturday night, we'd, we, you know, you finish the game and you'd speak to Nigel, what are you doing? You speak to Arcs, you speak to Hurston. <laughs> and we used to all end up in the Devonshire Arms in, in, in Door. Uh, we'd be watching matches of the day and we'd all be together having a drink. And a lot of times we'd be out with the girls as well. Yeah. Um, so there was, it was a, there was a big rapport. People weren't frightened. You know, if you're in a dressing room with Nigel Pearson and Nigel Worthington, you know, we had, Sebi in goal, Chris Turner, and then Chris Woods came. Yeah. If you play in that, people got told. So it wasn't it wasn't stand on ceremony. If 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 you weren't at it, you got told. We expected of each other, and Ron encouraged that. He encouraged people to call people out, and expected each other to put in a performance. Mm. Yeah. I mean. And was it more, it's interesting because I know you follow the boxing a bit and I, and I love boxing and I just wonder that, that 90s was fantastic because the Premier League had glamour to it. 
but people like yourself and, and you mentioned Chrissy Waddle and, and David Hurst seemed uh, Des Walker and Nigel Pearson seemed like real people you could identify with do you feel that there was that was a magical time in football when it was getting glamorous but there was still a connection and maybe people look for other sports now to to identify with people because it seems like it's almost uh, on another stratosphere sometimes the Premier League now how do you how do you see that because you're in pubs I guess you're mixing with people of Sheffield on a Saturday night. Well, I, listen, I used to go, Big Ron used to know, there's no, there's no, no shame. I used to go and have a, a couple of pints in the local on a Friday night. Mm. <laughs> and <there> was, <laughs> it wasn't in, you know, it wasn't in the newspapers. It wasn't no big deal. I think the problem that you've got now, uh, and it's not the player's fault, mm. is that the money that's coming to the game, it's taking it away from the working class man. I know in 1992, um, it was started to go that way. Um, you know, when I left from Sheffield Wednesday to, to Leeds United, you know, my salary was huge then. You know, yeah. I went from living a 300 grand house to living a million pound house. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it, it was huge. And, uh, and, and, you know, when I was at Sheffield Wednesday, you, you, you could go into the local pub and I'll just give it for my best man. You know, he had his own business and he was earning good money and we weren't far apart. So there was our identity there. But then all of a sudden, you, you get, I go to Leeds United and, and, and you're earning three times as much. He's got his own business. You, you, you're then taking football away from the working class man. It's not a working class man sport now. You want to go and watch the Arsenal. How much is that now? 75 quid? Yeah. You're going to take two kids. And you're going to take, you know, you go yourself and two quid. You're not getting new two kids, sorry. You're not getting no change out of 250, 300 quid. Now, if you're earning 500 pound a week or 600 pound a week, you know, you look at the average work, wage in the UK t- between 25 and 30 grand. And maybe, maybe I'm being too uh, over the top at 30 grand. Right. Say the average wage is 25 grand, right? Which is 500 pound a week, right? Yeah. Then, you justify spending, you know, you know, every weekend three hundred pound on that to go and watch a football match. You just can't do it. No, no, it's it's great you break it down, actually. And I think people don't often think about the salaries. And I think it's going to be a big thing for football clubs in the next year, as you mentioned. We said at the, the top about the pandemic and the ramifications of that, and how the, the punters are going to be able to probably afford less given the, the economic picture. Uh, but back at that time, I mentioned some players. I was obviously a United fan. We were linked with Shearer, but we were also linked with David Hurst around that time in the early 90s when I was 10, 11. And he was such a good player, Carlton, wasn't he? Have you seen a striker as good at that, as good as that with both feet? Well, no, he was tremendous. I mean, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, 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 uh, um, I think if David Hurst had gone to Manchester United, um, then I think you would have seen the the real the real David Hurst. You've got to remember, he was still a young kid. He was still yeah. a young kid, um, and uh, and and I think Fergie would have would have controlled the way Hurst was. He liked to be at Hurst, and and you know uh, when Ron Atkinson wasn't there, he, he had a rapport with Ron Atkinson. Um, and when Ron wasn't there, he needed somebody like a, a Fergie or a Howard Wilkinson, and then he would have gone on to do great things. I mean, Alan Shearer and him made uh, the debuts on the same day. Erste mm. um, substituted at half time, and the rest is history. If you're asking me at the time who was the better striker, without a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion, um, and, and it's no disrespect to Alan Shearer, he's a good friend of mine, and I think he's one hell of a striker. 
But at the time, if you'd have given me a choice of who to have in my team all day long, David Hurst. Yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic on both feet. I don't, what was it? Was he left-footed or right-footed? He was left-footed, but he, he had equal power in his left foot as his right foot. His power and pace, he was strong, um, you know... He, he, he just had it all. And, um, you know, I think with Erste, he got, when he didn't get to go to United, I think Fergie had put in a record transfer fee of about four and a half million. They decided to not let him go, which is which is their right. Yeah. You know, if you sign a contract with a football club, it, just because a club puts in a big offer for you, it, they don't have to sell you. Unfortunately, in today's market, you, they do have to sell you because the player then downs tools or causes that much trouble, you're better off letting him go. But back in the first, he respected the fact that uh, that he he wasn't um, allowed to go. They gave him a new contract, and he and he got on with his job. Um, but you know, as I said, just the way that Ersty was, and the way that we were—I mean, we were—we used to have a, a, a Tuesday club at Sheffield Wednesday. We were we were good drinkers, big drinkers. Uh, we trained hard, and we and we could play well. And you know, um, Ersty. You know, with with that, you know, was always going to be a problem. He's, you know, he's self motivated. He's a very strong character, but I just think the managers that came after him, like Ron Atkinson when he left, then Trevor Francis, not strong enough to deal with somebody like Tre- not even David Hurst, not strong enough to deal with me. That's why he sold me to Leeds United. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about it in a second. But some of those players you, you reeled off as well. I mean, Chrissy Waddle at that stage of his career, he was so entertaining to watch, wasn't he? As a United fan, I remember that it was a teenage Ryan Giggs and he was making a mockery of Giggs. Giggs was sliding in and he was just jinking past him and, and they were having a laugh. How good was Chris Waddle at that stage of his career at Wednesday? You've got to remember in the first year he came, he won Sports Writers Player of the Year. What yeah. was he? 37, 37, 38? Mm. Um, I think it a effect on everybody at the football club because when, you, when you're around people who have a genuine talent. I think it's a God-given talent, um, but he is the way that he was. It wasn't just off the field. Even now, I mean, I know he's coming up to his 60th birthday. I've said the greatest compliment I could ever give him is, is not just that he was a fantastic footballer. He was a fantastic bloke. He had time for everybody. He would come and watch it. I remember the first day he walked into Hillsbury, he pulled me to one side and he said to me, Carlton, you're a better player than people give you credit for get on the ball more you know and that you know for me I, I, I was already in the team and then you've got somebody like Chris Waddle who's coming around and saying that you, you know I was already six foot but you you feel ten foot tall you know <laughs> yeah it was a, it was a massive, massive example to 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 the young players to senior players um and, and the simple word that there, there, there are sim- just simply People who are geniuses, that, that's it. And Chris Waddle is one of those. He, he simply was a genius with a football. Um, and, and, but make no mistake, he worked hard. Uh, all the players that have been blessed to have played with, the, the, you know, the McAllisters, the Strachans, you yeah. know, the, as they, they, Sparky Hughes, Ian Rush, they, they, they're all talented, but they work extremely hard. Yeah. And you mentioned, like, with David Hurst, the two-footedness. Chris Waddle could go both ways as well, which was part of his... It's magic and was causing gigs so much problem on those days because he didn't know which, which foot he was going to try and get the, the crossing uh, with. What about your England career, Carl? Because I couldn't believe I looked back at it and you had, like, I think, 18 caps, but it was all in a short period of time, wasn't it? A couple of years under Graham Taylor. And I spoke to Lee Hendry 
last week had some time with him and it's fascinating because he got one cap under Glenn Hoddle but then the management changed with England he didn't get another look in was, was that similar to you do you think you mentioned the, the getting on the ball was there a stereotype against you that not not being a, good enough with the ball what was your take on I know there was a huge amount of competition with England at that time as well in midfield no, I mean, listen, I, I'm realistic, right? And, and, and I'm honest. At the time I got into the England team, I, I fully deserved my, my caps. Hmm. You know, if you, if you look at um, Sheffield Wednesday, we're in the top four, we're in cup finals. So if we're in the top four in your cup finals, then those players should be knocking on for international honours. Um, I knew that there were a crop of midfield players coming through now that was going to make it difficult for me to to stay in the England squad. Mm. But what was disappointing for me was the last game that I played was against Holland and um, everybody got, you know, that was the ill-fated game when we didn't uh, uh, qualify for the World Cup. Um, everybody in that squad was uh, selected by me. And I, I felt that was slightly to do with Terry Venables playing the London Mafia because... You know, me and the press don't always see to eye to eye. Don't take money off them, so I say what I say. You know, yeah. You know, the day there was this London mafia thing. You know, and and I think Venables went along with that rather than including me. I mean, no disrespect. I went to Leeds United. I think Alan Shearer went for two point eight million to Blackburn, and I went to Leeds United for two point seven five million. I went and played. At centre back, we finished in the top five in the Premier League. I mm. played well. I'm having an argument with you. You can have your opinion. I'm a better player than Gareth Southgate at centre back all day long. But he's really? got 70 England yeah. all day long. What, what, was that a problem? Was it lack, lack of? If you, if you speak, to, if you, if you speak to, if you speak to managers around at that time, right? Yeah. Aston Villa weren't in the four or five, right? Mm. And you say. And by the way, I'll quantify this. Gary Pallister only got, what, eight caps. I think yeah. Gary Pallister was a better defender than me. So I'll quantify it. I'm just saying that, you know, there, there are things, you know, if, if, if you just said to me at the time, you know, but obviously we were playing different positions. You know, Gary Pallister was a centre-back, so he's coming up against Tony Adams and Des Walker and people like that. So yeah. maybe that's not a fair inference because, you know... Um, I was a, I was a midfield player, but in terms of centre backs, w would you have uh, a, 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 a Gareth Southgate or Gareth Pallister all day long? Gareth, mm. Gareth Pallister, but you see, it's all about the media's perception. It's even now about Gareth now as England manager. I honestly, I th without a shadow of a doubt, Gareth Southgate's a decent bloke and he's been a decent player. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's getting away with murder as England manager. We've really? got a talented, talented group of players, right? Yeah. But nobody's prepared to say anything against him, right? You know, we, 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 we have a brilliant chance of winning the World Cup. The only team we've got to play is Croatia, right? Mm. Yeah. We, at the time, we don't do anything. We know we're getting overrun in the middle of the park. We don't do anything. All we should have done is gone to five in the middle of the park, go with uh, Sterling on the outside, uh, why? Because he couldn't get into the game. And go and have a go at the game. Stranglehold in the midfield because we're getting over the run. He didn't do anything. So we lose the game and everybody goes, well, hang on a minute. Nobody looks at the facts. Nobody looks at the facts of the three centre-backs that, that voted the best 
central defender or in the top three in the Premier League that season was the boy Cahill, who was sat on the bench. And then we've got three centre-backs, um, Carl Walker, who's basically a top top right full-back or right wing-back. Yeah. And then we've got the boy Stones, who's a bang average centre-back who can't defend good football, yeah. can't defend. So it's we can see two goals coming down of him and nobody criticises him. Nobody says anything. But if that was Sam Allardyce or somebody else, they'd have been stripped to pieces. Mm. So it's going to be interesting now coming up to the European Championships because he's got to get the selection of the team right in terms of the players we got. And we have got quality players. And we should be knocking on the door of winning that tournament with the players that we have to hand. If everybody's fit, but you can't, you know, look at France. I hear Gareth talking about he wants his back four to play. Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. If you're in the Premier League now, if your back four can't play with a the football, they shouldn't be playing in the Premier League. Right? <laughs> yeah. The first thing a defender's got to do is defend. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, ch- that's changed since your you time. That's, that's weird, isn't it? That's a big issue in football now. That doesn't seem to be a, a skill that's, that's valued. Well, you, you look at the French team. The French team, when they won the, the, the World Cup, the four players at the back, you wouldn't say they were, they were extremely skilled footballers. But I'll tell you what they did. They created a platform because they defended the cage. And that's what their job is. To get a clean sheet, you got the boy um, from Leicester sat in front. Kante, um, yeah. Kante. Conte. Lead yeah. title at Leicester. Conte won a league title at Leicester, won a league title at, at Chelsea. He's got him sat in front. And then you've got Pogba and you've got your flair players who can then go and play. That's your basis of how you're going to win a football game. So I don't care when you're talking about, well, we want to play out from the back. Well, okay, you should be able to play out from the back. And if you can't, first things first, defenders should defend. Yeah. That is simple. You know, when I hear all these things about a holding midfield or attack, listen, defenders are defenders, midfield players are midfield players and strikers are strikers. Let's not complicate it. And yeah. this is what's happened with the game. I'm saying with Gareth, everybody's, the media are backing him. Everybody's backing him and saying this and saying that. Everybody comes home and says, well, what a great World Cup we had. And I'm like, actually, I'm disappointed. Because <laughs> you got and so I'm close. Not, I'm not yeah, knock- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not knocking the bloke because I think he's a stand-up, decent guy. But I'm saying he's in that position where he's got the backing because the media like him. And that's where the difference comes in. If the media doesn't like you, like the media doesn't particularly like Carlton Palmer, Terry Venables takes over, easy scapegoat to get him out. That's, that's, that's as simple as it is. Yeah, yeah. Did you consider yourself a centre-half as well as a central midfielder then? Should you have, do you think, would that have been where you saw yourself fitting into the England picture more? Because we had like, what, Paul Ince, Paul Gascoigne, David Platt were the competitors in, in central midfield, mainly, were they? And Batty, I guess, David Batty. Yeah, but I was ahead of all of those. I yeah. mean, at the time, I was playing ahead of uh, David Batty. Ince and I were playing in there. Gazza was playing in there. Platty was playing one off the striker. You know, I, I, I'm not... Listen, the one thing I'm not, I'm not going to argue about is Scolzi's available ahead of Carlton Palmer. Scolzi plays. You know, <laughs> listen, the one thing in life, if you're going to be successful, you also have to be honest about things. But I did feel that there was an area at centre-back where that's one of the reasons why I went to Leeds United with Howard Wilkinson. Howard Wilkinson had identified that. And my natural position is a central defender. So Howard Wilkinson had identified that 
And I was, I'd agreed a deal to go to Aston Villa with Ron Atkinson again. Howard Wilkinson coming in at the last minute and all the things that he said to me about prolonging my England career, me going back at playing at centre-back, all made sense. And that's why I chose to go to Leeds over, Sheffield, uh, over Aston Villa, mm. you know? Um, and and, 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 and uh, that first season at Leeds United, I played very well. Yeah. You know, you go back and watch the game. We beat, we beat you at uh, Man United, it's um, Ellen Road, live on Sky. And everybody's on view of playing for England. But, and I got man of the match and still not. So I was upset that I didn't get to add to my England caps. But I also understood the way the game was going and the way that the game's driven by the media. Everything's driven now. If you want to work in, 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 in the media now, you have to have a massive social media following. And so you can talk crap and have a massive social media and then you get a gig on. Not that you can go on TV and be, you know, articulate and speak about the game and and and, yeah. and, 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 and game down that people understand. Look at Roy Keane. Roy Keane goes on there, right? I'm mm. not saying that Roy Keane isn't at the game and he was one hell of a player. But every time he goes on there, he will make one comment or two comments and I think it's absolutely deliberate to try and antagonise the general media uh, and the public, yeah. so he gets a bigger social media following. Then again, they put him on again. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that atten- the people are obsessed with attention these days as well. You mentioned the positions and how midfields change. Because growing up as a kid, I, I used to hero worship central midfield players. Obviously, you had a lot of respect for yourself, but Brian Robson and an Ince at United being a United fan and people, but it wasn't considered to be a defensive midfielder. It'd be an easy job for you now, wouldn't it? Just sitting in front of that back, back four, do you think? I would never sit in front of the back four. I think it's ridiculous. You're losing one player. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous to say you have a player and just sit him in front of the back four. It's a midfield player. If you've got, you've got two midfield players, if you're th- playing three midfield players, then, you, you know, you, you alternate as, as what you've got to do, you know? I mean, it depends how you set up. You, if you look at Conte who plays for, for France, he doesn't just sit in front of the back four, but mainly his job is to protect the back four because they've got so many flair players in the team. But yeah. you see him get forward, you create chances, you see him score goals. And this is the part of the problem with the boy Pogba. You know, mm. Man United have taken him. And this is what makes me laugh. I said this before they appointed Ole Gunnar Schulzgaard. If you're going to get the best out of Pogba, why not appoint a man who gets the best out of him? Why does he always play... First, first choice for France, which is mm. a hugely talented nation and got very talented players. Yeah. The reason why he plays for France is because the makeup of the team suits him. The makeup of the team doesn't suit him at Man United because they're not a solid defensive unit and they haven't got a great oldie midfield player. Yeah. When he played well at Juventus, they had a solid three at the back and they played a solid five in midfield, which allowed him the freedom to go and play. Mm. He hasn't got that at Man United, so therefore, he can't perform his best football week in and week out. But you've got all these clever pundits sitting there and saying this and saying that, yet they can't, you know, I go back to watching him at Juventus. And, and, and when you judge a Paul Pogba, you can't judge him over, you know, two or three games. Judge him over 10 games, playing in that kind of system, how many goals he scores, how many he creates... And he will do, as he did for Juventus in that solid system, you know, that allows him the freedom to go and play, similar as what Big Ron allowed me to do at Sheffield Wednesday. People used to say, oh, 
if Carlton Palmer runs forward, he's going to leave gaps here. He's going to use... And Big Ron used to say, well, hang on a minute. If we've got the ball and there's but, gaps there and you're problems running in behind people, then it's their problem. If they can exploit us, fine. But he would have people like we had in our team, Des Walker and uh, Roland Nielsen and Nigel Worthington and Nigel Person. These people could defend. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what they got paid. Yeah. It's funny, it goes back to defence. And as a United fan, obviously, you mentioned Pallister. We had Pallister, Bruce then, and they weren't necessarily... Well, Pallister was a very good individual defender. Bruce w- was exposed by pace, but then he, he was complimented by Pallister. And then we had a similar setup with, with Vidic and Ferdinand. And it, it's, it is a key issue, is, is getting that defensive side of it right, isn't it? It's, it's, when you look back at your Wednesday days, would it have been different at all, do you think, if you'd, got, if you'd won one of the cup finals in 93 against Arsenal? How deflating was that for the, the squad and the team at that point? Well, it was difficult to accept, but it's, you know, like in, in anything, in all sports, the first game was always going to be the crucial game, wasn't it? Whoever won that, we, 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 that before, whoever won the first game would more than likely go on because it's, 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 it's mentally and it's, it's tactical and whatever. Whoever won the first game would more than likely go on to win the second game. We have no complaints in the first game. Uh, Arsenal, we're marginally, marginally, wasn't a great game. Uh, as it, as it never was against Arsenal, the way that George Graham plays. But they, they were marginally the better side. I made the mistake for the goal. I should have cleared the ball. It, other than that, nothing else was in the game. In the FA Cup final, on both occasions, on the on the Saturday and on the Tuesday, we were the better side. And and, and, and that's, just, that's just the way it goes. You know, um, you know, Arsenal won both both games and good luck to them but if the players are honest I mean I remember I remember Paul Merson saying to me on the Saturday after the FA Cup final he said how we got away with that I don't know he said <laughs> but he, it'll be a different game it'll be a different game on Tuesday but it wasn't it wasn't a different game we, we were we, we, they were on top probably for the first 35 minutes after that it was it was all us to be honest with you and we missed chance after chance after chance and unfortunately we, we, we get done in the dying seconds um uh, when it, you know, when it was going to go to penalties, mm. that's football. Yeah, yeah, it is. He went to a replay as well. You played with some great players. You mentioned some. What about the players you played against in in the nineties, Carlton? Who do you, I guess, look back on as being the toughest opposition, the most talented opposition? Who sticks in your mind? Oh, there was a lot. That, listen, I, I, and I'm not saying this out of, um, I'm not saying this out of uh, any kind of jealousy or anything I mean I'm in a very listening life I only speak as I find I, in the 92 93 94 I think it is a miles better Premier League than what it is today really? I mean you're talking about genuine world class players Viali Zola you know McAllister Sparky Hughes Ian Rush the list can go on Gary Speed you know uh, you, you know you look at characters as well you know name me a character in the game today I don't think there's one in the game today it brings anything to... I'll be honest with you. Now, I pick and choose my games, what I want to watch. But mm. back in the day, you know, obviously I was playing, but back in the day, you'd want to watch every game because yeah. somebody brought something to the table. So a lot of great players. Alan Shearer, I loved Alan Shearer. Do you know why? Because he gave as good as he gave and he never moaned. When you put it on him, he never moaned. Never okay. moaned. If you elbowed him, if you, you know, he got on with it. You know, if he got half a chance, he'd score. Ian Wright... Les Ferdinand, you know, great character, Stuart yeah. Pearce. I mean, people forget. I mean, I, I don't look at just at the great names. I look at, you know, Nigel Winterburn at left back. What a mm. great player he was. Tom 
go for us. Lee Dixon at Arsenal, I thought, was a fantastic fullback going forward, attacking and getting back. Yeah. Uh, I had great admiration for Tony Adams. I thought he was a, a fantastic centre-back, but just a fantastic leader. And there, and there were lots. Mark Keown, great man marker. Des Walker, for me, arguably one of the best centre-backs in the world at, at, at one point. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Chris Waddle. You talk about Mark Hughes. Um, you know, and you, you, list goes on. Roy Keane. Yeah, Keane Vieira. Yeah, towards the end of your career, Keane and Vieira were around, weren't they? Patrick Vieira. Yeah, Patrick Vieira. You look at that Arsenal team. Patrick Vieira, Perez, Lundberg. You know, you, you, and then you've got Thierry Henry coming. I know he came later. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at the quality in the Premier League now. Yeah. Uh, you don't see any of the youngsters coming through now of, of, of real quality. Um, through the clubs, it's all bought because of the pressure now. The pressure is to succeed. Yeah, in our day, manager could produce a player, give him time. The pressure's, you know, now just about results. It's all about results. You, when I resigned from my last manager's job, that was part of the reason. You, you, you don't enjoy the match day anymore. The match day is only about the result. Well, that's not yeah. football. Yeah. football. Going out, as Ron said, You've got to pay in public out there, go out and entertain it. And it used to be fun. You used to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you and when you and when you when you're only thinking about my missus said to me, you are not managing again. You know, you've got two phones on the go, everything's this, that, and that. And then, you know, people forget this, right? Ed, outside the Premier League, and okay of recently of the of of, of of the of the championship and probably on the top championship. Managers in the third or fourth division that these supporters give a holy abuse to are probably on 30, 30. When I was manager of Mansfield in, in, in the lowest tier of football, I was on 35 grand a year. Wow. It's not yeah. a huge salary. Not My maintenance was 60 grand a year. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? So, you know, and these, these managers are getting the abuse they're getting and they're not getting the time and they haven't got... Listen, if you go into a football club and you're in the second division and you've got a squad of 20 players, you might be able to bring one or two players in. If you can't work with the youth and get the youth players through, what can you do? It's difficult. Mm. You know, I, I, I did a podcast the other night and somebody said to me, oh, isn't it great to see David Moyes doing well? I said, are you surprised? David <laughs> Moyes was a top manager. He got destroyed by Manchester United. Because Alex Ferguson left at a time when the, the, he knew he got the last ounce of that team when he won the league. He mm. left. There was a complete job to do. And he, you know, Moyes came in late. It was always going to be a difficult job for him. And he never quite recovered from that for a while. And now he's back to himself. He's in a club that's pretty similar to how Everton was. And now all of a sudden people are saying, well, what a good manager he is. He was a good manager yeah. in here. Yeah, West Ham fifth. It's amazing. And I think you make some really good points there about, about management and not being fun and how, it's, how fans sometimes forget that. And, but also the entertainment front, because we're obsessed with stats, I think, now. And I was talking to Lee Hendry about this and saying, we, we seem to discourage, or the game seems to discourage, dribbling players. Like even, you mentioned Gareth Southgate. He seems to have been reluctant to give Jack Grealish a run. But now he's, he's got him into the team finally. But Grealish is a rarity in his, his, his willingness to dribble. You mentioned the physical players like Mark Hughes. And I, I love Sparky Hughes, the aggression he brought to the game. And that seems to have been lost in the Premier League. When you look at the Premier League, do you feel like it is now a different entity to the rest of football? Because when I look at it and I see park football, 
in your day, you were better, obviously, but it was a, a similar game. You could, could put tackles in. There was an intensity to it. People would dribble. Whereas now, I think there's, a, there's almost a safety. It's quite sanitised, isn't it, the Premier League? What do you think of that? No, I think it's continental. It's mm. gone the continental way. Got too, too many foreigners in the game for me. And we've gone the continental way. You know, so if you watch the, the football on the continent, a lot of it's quite boring. In Italy, it doesn't quite happen until the final third. Nothing really happens. You you have the ball. Barcelona, they, everybody goes on about stats. Oh, well, they've had 60% of the ball. They've never come over the halfway line. They just move the ball around. Not, not Barcelona. Barcelona has been a fantastic team in the past. But, you know, yeah. this is what, you know, it, it, it's come, you know, it doesn't have the excitement of the, of the you know, the, um, the, the, the goal mouth action and the end to end, which is which was part of football, you know. Um, as I say, I, I pick and choose my matches that I, I you know, I want to watch now, mm. you know, and um, and and that's it. I, I, I still love football. I love, I, you know, I, to be honest with you, the championship sometimes is much more exciting than the Premier League. Yeah. Um, Do you watch your old clubs? But, uh, Wednesday and uh, Forest. Yeah, I mean, not really Nottingham Forest. Um, I watch, uh, obviously, when I go back, I go and watch Sheffield Wednesday. I live in Sheffield. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see him do well. I mean, I'm listen, I'm, I, I know Chris Wilder well. So even though I'm from Sheffield and a big Wednesday, I, I'd like to see United do well and stay up. But again, it's like this. I mean, I've I seen somebody say the other day, Chris Wilder's under pressure of his job. How can Chris Wilder be under pressure for his job? <laughs> I just yeah. Even if Sheffield United get relegated this season, Chris Wilder should not be under pressure for his job. And no. this is what I'm on about, where football's gone now. People have short memories. All of a sudden now, you know, they're having a, 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 a difficult time at the moment. I happen to believe that Sheffield United will get out of it. I really do. But, you know, if they weren't to, I don't believe that Chris Wilder should lose his job. I really don't. I think he should be given the opportunity to bring the club back. He's done wonders for him. Yeah. This is how football is. You know, it's a it's it's a massive investment in the Premier League. It's massive rewards. So of course, I'm, I'm I, you know I'm hoping it doesn't happen. But I'm sure if the Chris Chris doesn't get results by Christmas or whatever, they'll be looking to try and make a change to see if they can stay up. And I, I, I really don't I really don't get it. You know that you know that this that there's no kind of you know loyalty. It's, it's, it's not even about. It's about understanding. It's about understanding. You're going to change the manager, but you've allowed this manager to bring all these players in. This manager's worked with these players who've had a fantastic season in the Premier League last season. So if anybody's going to be able to change it around with those players, he's the manager. But look yeah. at the way the game's gone. Eddie out. Every, you know, people say, well, well managers should stay loyal, right? <laughs> you, you shouldn't stay loyal. As soon as you have some success, you should go, look what Eddie Howe, he stayed on at Bournemouth, he stayed on at Bournemouth. And, you know, at the end of the day, they went down when he's performing miracle after miracle with what he's doing there. And then all of a sudden, he's getting criticised at the end. I mean, yeah. Sean Daesh has not ended up with a, a big job. I don't get that. I think he's done, I think he's done magnificent, Sean, at, 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 at Burnley. Yeah. And, and, and he's English manager and he's, he's good. And why, why shouldn't he end up at, in a top job? But he yeah. gets perceived to play a certain way. It's, you know, I just don't get it, mate. Yeah, to be yeah. 
No, the, well, mate, I'm a, as a Manchester United fan, as you know, victim of, of managerial changes by the dozen, well, not, by, not quite the dozen, but so many since 2013. As you say, I think Moyes was, was thrown a bit of a, a, bad, a bad pass in, in 2013 with the timing of the squad and everything, trying to rebuild from there. And it wasn't a great summer that summer in terms of him getting opportunities. But Carl, it's been fantastic to speak to you. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm aware that it's late in the evening, so I'll let you go and you've got your solicitors to speak to and all sorts with with the housing but thank you very much you're, you're able to send me a picture just uh, to put up with the podcast as well that'd be fantastic okay no problem appreciate your time mate. pleasure speaking to you take care pal thank you very much speak to you soon so there we have it Carlton Palmer had a quick chat with him afterwards and saying he hasn't really been favoured by the media in terms of analyst work and I think that's a shame because he's so forthright isn't he and genuinely believes his points and I thought that point about the cost of football was really sort of telling and cogent and powerful in there that looking at the average wage of the UK which sometimes I try and do and I don't think a lot of people mention it particularly football's origins as a working class sport and then you ask people to pay a lot of money each week to go and watch the games at £75 a head, he was saying, and potentially you're only earning £500 a week. And that may be subject to tax as well, depending on your situation. So, yeah, some really cogent points from I me. Mean, a really thoughtful guy thinks about society, football, a culture, and a real passionate defence of, of Ron Atkinson there, which I think is interesting because, again, trying to reserve judgment on people from afar is an important thing, I think, at the moment, because we are all lumping in, particularly through the vehicle of social media, in judgment of people we're not necessarily knowing their intent their character and people make mistakes don't they so it's interesting to see to hear that and his his perspective on it and how football's changed and how it's very much you have a couple of pints the night before a game in public in a pub and, and felt free to do so in Sheffield so fantastic character I look forward to seeing him back in the UK hopefully meet up with him as well as a keen golf player and I'm supposedly sign up to a friend's weekend we haven't seen each other for a long time golf in the summer I've never played so I'm going to try and learn golf this year so maybe I'll take him on but I'm sure he's very good uh, in the future but Carlton Palmer fantastic to speak to him thank you to him uh, for his time in the evening as well in Shanghai after a long day's work it sounds like he's got a lot on his plate with selling properties in, in Portugal in the UK as well Thank you to him. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installation. If you want to see the latest B&O equipment, head to B&O Cheltenham's Instagram account in particular, but some cool videos, cool pictures up there about the latest equipment. And through Serene AV, remember, they can source any other home entertainment system you may be looking to develop as well. And uh, worth checking in with those guys, Jason Briggs and his team. Fantastic insight and knowledge and convivial bunch. Big football fans. Well, Jason is at least runs the local club AFC Cheltenham in Bishop's Cleeve, which is just to the north. Very, uh, again, pretty village north to the north of Cheltenham, where I live. So uh, good luck to them getting the football back on now the lockdown is uh, eased. And thank you to Cytoplan. Remember, if you're looking to optimise your immunity and looking to take some supplements, there's our food-based supplements. So they're digested as food would be. My father, who is a micronutritionist, a general practitioner, doctor, former anaesthetist, he's been consultant and we've been customers of theirs. You're paying our own money for two decades, but you can get a discount with the code DRAPER10R, all capital letters, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numbers one zero, and then the capital letter R. I think it's a 30% off the first purchase and then 10% thereon after. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. If you could rate it on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. Any comments I will read out in next week on the, on the podcast as well. 
And if you would like to get in touch with me, Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram. Like Carlton says there, there are some negative sides to, to social media for, for sure, but I've met some really good people, particularly local people to me. And I've uh, supported the podcast as well. I've, I love hearing from people. And I've got a lot of positive reaction to the Chris Hussey interview, particularly his candor about mental health and anxiety and OCD and, and insomnia. So that was fantastic. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. And I'll be back again soon. Have a good week. Goodbye for now.